This is The Guardian. I'm Jane Lee, coming to you from Gadigal Land, and this is the Full Story Newsroom Edition, where Guardian Australia's editors discuss the news of the week. Liberal Party politics have taken centre stage in the debate over the voice to Parliament, with the resignation of the Shadow Indigenous Australians Minister, Julian Lisa. And I will support the referendum being put this year. I believe that the voice can help move the dial. It's making it much harder for Coalition leader Peter Dutton to maintain a unified party line. He doesn't leave with rancour, he doesn't leave with bitterness. He has gone through a process within our party and his position is at odds with the overwhelming majority of the Liberal Party members uh, in our party room. Today, I'm talking to Editor-in-Chief Lenore Taylor and Indigenous Affairs Editor Lorena Allam about how party politics will affect the yes and no campaigns in the lead-up to the referendum. It's Friday, the 14th of April. Tired of ads barging into your favourite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Good morning, Lenore. Morning. Morning, Lorena. Morning. So, Lenore, now that both the Liberals and the Nationals are campaigning against The Voice, is there still a path to victory for the Yes campaign, do you think? Yeah, I think there is. It definitely makes it more difficult and more complicated and probably most significantly more bruising over the next six months for Indigenous Australians, given the way the debate is now likely to play out. But I think Dutton's decision to line the Liberals up squarely behind the No campaign was clearly motivated, certainly in large part, by politics and his desire to differentiate himself politically. And I think right from the get-go that isn't playing out quite as he hoped and most significantly when his Shadow Minister Julian Lisa resigned from the front bench because he didn't support the arguments and actually started undermining Peter Dutton's arguments straight away. So I think Peter Dutton hoped that he would sort of come out of the blocks and start making these very political sort of slogan-type arguments and get a sort of head start, if you like, in the debate. But it's not really working out for him. And I think the way that Julian Lisa, even though he's doing it very politely and not criticising Peter Dutton himself, the way that he is actually contradicting Peter Dutton's main arguments makes the potency of that intervention somewhat less. And I think also the way the Yes campaign is actually organising itself is almost with an aim to sort of circumvent or get around 
a very politicised campaign. So I think it's it's going to be a, a very interesting contest, but I do think there's still definitely a path to victory for the Yes campaign. Mm. Well, let's get into what those campaigns are starting to look like now. I mean, as you said, Lenore, it's, it's very politicised already right off the bat. And as you say, we saw Shadow Indigenous Australians Minister Julian Lisa step down from the front bench this week so he could freely campaign for The Voice. Lorena, what did you make of that announcement and how do you see that playing out? It was quite a shock, but in retrospect, not surprising because as Lenore said, he was in a... He, put himself at odds with the leadership over this and had been under pressure for several weeks to to stand up. I think that's what the Prime Minister said, to, you know, to show the courage of his convictions, which he did. So he went home for Passover and then announced afterward that he couldn't support the, the no campaign as it stood and that he was going to the backbench so he could campaign for a yes vote. He has what he's called the press club model that he wants to advocate for. But he said either way he would support the referendum. So it caused turmoil within the party and now there's pressure on other moderates as well to declare themselves. So Simon Birmingham, Maurice Payne are also under some pressure. Birmingham has already said that he wouldn't step down from the party. But I do think that the time is is coming where there'll be pressure on Dutton to give all of his members a conscience vote on, on The Voice. And this may be, may be something he would consider because it might stem the tide of, of resignations or defections, for want of a better word. I think also in the meantime, the fact that Julian Lisa is contradicting Peter Dutton on that central argument that Peter Dutton's trying to make, which is The Voice won't make any practical difference. Look at the problems that are happening right now, right today in, in, in Indigenous communities. You know, The Voice won't do anything about that. Julian Lisa saying quite definitively, yes, it will. It won't solve everything, but empowering people to be able to you know, take part in decision-making and give advice, that will shift the dial in a very practical way. That's like the core of Peter Dutton's argument that his, until this week, shadow minister is directly contradicting. And, you know, Peter Dutton spent part of the week out in Alice Springs directly trying to link law and order problems in Alice Springs with the voice. See, the government won't do anything about this because they're waiting for the voice. And, you know, Julian Lisa undermined that argument. The mayor of Alice Springs undermined that argument by saying they're two quite separate questions and should be dealt with separately. So I think, you know, it's making it harder for Peter Dutton to sort of land his points that he's trying to land. How do you think the Yes campaign will start to frame its case in light of the Liberal stance? Well, I think the Yes campaign is trying to do the sort of opposite to what Peter Dutton is trying to do. Peter Dutton wants to make it a a political argument, bring it into the political arena. I think the Yes campaign wants to do exactly the opposite of that, wants to shift the focus out of that prism and into the same sort of tactics that were successful in the marriage equality campaign or to an extent in some of the uh, campaigns by the Teals and the Greens, and that is lots of grassroots conversations, people talking to people they know, town hall conversations, kitchen table conversations, where what you do is emphasise the positive outcomes that the Yes campaign says will come from a, you know, a successful referendum. Take it away from down and dirty politics, take it away from politics as usual and go around that entirely 
and make the case in a positive way. And, and you know, they've been quite disciplined about that. And, you know, Peter Dutton's been coming out with some slogans that are, you know, quite deceptive, like it's a Canberra voice. Well, in one, in one way, yeah, sure, that's right, it's a voice to Canberra. But he means it in a bad way, like it's the elites somehow who are controlling this, which is doublespeak because obviously the whole idea is that it is to bring into Canberra the perspectives from people in community. The Yes campaign is specifically designed to sort of subvert or go around that kind of politicising of the argument, which is why I think it's going to be so fascinating how this plays out. Mm. Lorena? I think the Yes campaign has done a lot of work already to combat the kind of arguments that Dutton is throwing up now. They say this is the Uluru statement from the heart is an invitation to the Australian people, not Mm. to politicians. They have always said this is beyond retail politics. They want it to be something that the Australian people do, not the politicians. So as long as Dutton keeps calling this the Canberra voice, he's digging himself a hole because they can easily rebut that. And once the Yes campaign kicks off and we see the extent of their support in the community among sporting codes and big business and the charity and NGO sector, like they've got a lot of support out there. When we see that big advertising campaign roll out, we will see, I think, how small this argument about it being a Canberra voice of the elites will become. Mm. That's what the Yes campaign is, is hoping for. But for now, Dutton isn't talking to the Yes campaigners and he's not even talking to us. I think he's talking to the people out there, the voters who know very little about the voice mm. and who are uncertain of what it means and, you know, he's really pushing buttons, the Canberra bubble, the Canberra voice, the elites, those are kind of liberal talking points that they've used to great effect in any number of election campaigns. So that's that's who he's talking to. He's not talking to us. He's talking to, you know, the broad sort of mainstream voting public. The other argument, of course, that's been made probably more by Barnaby Joyce and Jacinta Price and people like that than Dutton himself is again a sort of double-speak argument that the voice will divide Australia by race, that it's somehow divisive by DNA, I think Barnaby Joyce says. And, you know, I think it's interesting that Julian Lisa is saying quite clearly, again, no, it isn't. So, again, the former shadow minister is directly contradicting the basis of that campaign. But, I mean, I think that argument is another one that I think we'll see come up again and again, and it's kind of flipping reality on its head almost. Lorena, there was a leading no campaign event in Tamworth earlier this month. What kind of rhetoric did we see there and what does that tell us about the future of the no campaign? There was some pretty strong rhetoric at that meeting that was attended by Barnaby Joyce, Pauline Hanson, Alan Jones and Gary Johns. After the meeting, the Race Discrimination Commissioner Chin Tan said he was concerned about the tone of the debate. He said that some of the things that were said reinforced stereotypes about Indigenous people, Gomorrah people who staged a silent protest out the front of the meeting, said they were really frightened about the tone of of the debate and things that were said to them before and after the meeting. Things that were shouted out to them after the meeting were much worse, they said, than the things that were said going in. So they felt very strongly that the meeting incited tensions, racial tensions. They said they didn't feel welcome at the meeting. So it doesn't bode well for the no campaign that that's the tone of the debate. And Off the back of that meeting, Bridget Archer was on the ABC saying she couldn't see how the No campaign could not be perceived as adjacent to racism. Mm. And Marcy Langton said the same thing to us. 
that she couldn't see how the no campaigners could separate accusations of, of being racist from the campaign. As you mentioned, Lenore was seeing these divides and, you know, when Dutton was asked about why he didn't back traditional owner organisations the other day on The Voice, he said he was listening to supermarket shoppers. Shoppers in shopping centres. And business owners. People who are having their businesses boarded up, uh, people who are actually living in the community and aren't afraid to speak out. Interestingly, he was standing in Alice Springs outside the Yipperenya Centre, which is an Aboriginal-owned shopping centre. Mm. And when he was asked whether he would speak to Luratepe, the traditional owner group, he said he was more interested in hearing the views of people in the shopping centre. Well, Luratepe owned the shopping centre <laughs> and have strong views about the voice to parliament. Who do we think Dutton is talking about here? Well, again, it's a kind of double speak argument because he's saying, I'm listening to the grassroots, I'm listening to the people on the ground. But when you go to the people on the ground, they might not all be 100% behind a yes case. They might want some more answers. But they're certainly not, for the most part, accepting the arguments that he's putting forward. So I think I think Lorena wrote about this really well this week, that the, the grassroots is kind of like a, a, a fictional creation that he, he uses to sort of say he has support without actually being able to point to who they are, because polling is showing that across Australia there is a majority of support for The Voice now, not a strong majority, but a majority. And when you go around to some of the communities where he's been and the places where he's been, the views that people talk about are not really aligned with what he says he's hearing. So I think it's more of a device to claim support and claim that he's listening than necessarily a, a factual or sort of accurate representation of what he's hearing. It's interesting, the visuals of the campaigns as well. So this week Dutton was in Alice Springs. He did a press conference with Darren the Baker and Jacinta Price, the Senator, Jacinta Nap and Price. The very same day, Linda Burney was in Perth with Ken Wyatt and a, and a group of senior Aboriginal elders from Perth mm. flanking her, and she does that a lot. You see when she stands up, she has a lot of Aboriginal people around her. Mm. So there's that visual contrast. It's a very deliberate tactic of Labor. I think in that visit to Alice Springs when Peter Dutton is appearing, it's not, I mean, I think he's trying to speak to concerned, worried people at the other end of the television camera who don't know a great deal about this and make those points, you know, look, law and order here is bad, the government thinks the voice will solve everything. It's a, it's a distorted argument and it's not really to do with what he's seeing or or doing at that place. It's It's really sort of broadcasting it to wider Australia in a way that tries to make the argument that the voice is intended to solve every problem in Indigenous Australia and won't, which is obviously a spurious argument. We're a number of months out still from a referendum and from casting a vote, so there's still probably a number of voters who are still ambivalent about the choice. Given all that we said about the difficulties that the Liberal Party will have coming out and saying hard no, do you think that position will actually work in the Yes campaign's favour, Lorena? I think they have already decided, I think they knew several months ago that this would not get bipartisan support and they are banking on winning anyway. Certainly the effort is going into winning anyway and they talk about what will happen when people vote yes. The campaign messaging is very much, as Lenore said earlier, about that positive outcome. They don't often talk about what happens if Australia says no. It's too awful to think about. But also they want to maintain that positive 
image. This is a good thing for the country. You hear Linda Burney say, how much better we'll feel the night, the morning after we all wake up and we've voted yes, we'll feel better, we'll walk taller. Mm. They're trying to provide a very positive, wholesome contrast to the kind of negativity that, that Dutton is talking about now, with crime and children unprotected, you know, at, at risk. This kind of stuff plays with people's anxieties, whereas the, the yes messaging is quite comforting and positive. So I think uh, it'll be really interesting to see how that plays out over the next couple of months. Yeah, I agree. I think it's a really fascinating juxtaposition of campaigning styles and it'll be really interesting to see how that works. And, you know, Lorraine is right that the Yes campaign doesn't want to contemplate what happens if it fails. But I think it's worth contemplating, right? Like imagining Australia after a no vote, after all those years of consultation and discussion and, you know, 16 years of work by Indigenous leaders to try to find a modest bipartisan way forward. And after the Uluru Statement and after all that discussion and work, if we as a nation said no, I think it does actually bear consideration about where that would leave things. Next. Misinformation and mismanagement. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free. Or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy to assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Now we come to our favourite part of the day, which is the story that we can't get out of our head. Lorena? Yes, well, it's kind of connected to The Voice, which is in my entire life these days. <laughs> and that is about the, I started looking at the AEC's disinformation register. So the Electoral Commission is monitoring misinformation and disinformation during this campaign. And they refer to a series of studies that have been done about how to combat misinformation by giving people a kind of vaccine. So they talk about inoculation theory. It's fascinating. Inoculation theory is the is the idea that in order to combat misinformation, you expose people to low levels of in misinformation so they learn to recognise it when they see it um, and that that is a better way to deal with it than to try and argue the toss with someone who's convinced that they are right. So providing facts to people who are convinced of a belief doesn't work the way to do it is to expose them bit by bit to misinformation so they learn to recognise it and somehow build a resilience to it. So there's this great game that you can you can download from the app store called Cranky Uncle <laughs> and you can play as Cranky Uncle. You, you learn how... Uh, how to deal with a cranky uncle with, yeah, with and you, conspiratorial 
That's right. Or you play as the cranky uncle and you have to, you're rewarded each time that you identify the misinformation that's most going to trigger his crankiness. So it's a really clever way to (laughs) get people to think about misinformation and how it it works, how persuasive it is, and then learn how they can take steps to to protect themselves against it. Nice. And hopefully before they've fallen down any conspiratorial rabbit yeah, holes themselves. Once, that's what the academics are saying, is that once you've, you've fallen for a conspiracy theory, it's very hard to, to break out of that. So this is more of a preventative measure. Lenore, have you got anything in mind? Yeah, yeah, my story's quite separate. I, I was really impressed with the story that our education reporter, Caitlin Cassidy, did this week a big feature on tertiary education in Australia, which was really quite shocking. It brought together a lot of things that now we've read about or, or reported on separately academics who are saying that universities have become like supermarkets because they've fired so many staff students are now like customers at self-checkout counters that are checking their own goods out, kind of responsible for their own education, and that unis have completely lost their sense of direction. It was, yeah, it was quite a shocking but very informative read, I thought. Thanks, Lenore. Thanks, Jane. Thanks, Lorena. Thank you. That's it for today. You can find our interviews with Yes campaigner Thomas Mayo and Liberal MP Julian Lisa in the full story feed this week. This episode was produced by Miles Herbert, Camilla Hannon and Daniel Simo. The executive producer for today's episode was Miles Martignoni. We'll be back on Monday with a regular episode of Full Story. I'm Jane Lee. Catch you then. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.